0: Hello, I wanted to let you know that this Votations Live to Tape podcast recording of The Girl Aviator's visual audiobook is funded by viewer support. If you would like to help out as well, you can visit VotationsDonations.com, where there are many ways you can help support Votations and the Votations Live to Tape and our sister sites. There you can find ways you can donate through PayPal, you can set up recurring subscriptions on PayPal or also on Patreon. There are many levels on Patreon on which you can support. And there is also an Amazon li- wish list that will help us with equipment uh, donations. And we also accept cryptocurrencies as well. If you're old school and you like to send uh, checks, we have our P.O. Box information also on that page at donations.com. I want to thank everyone who has helped support this series so far, and I hope you helped too. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Votations Life Today podcast. We are reading The Girl Aviator's Motor Butterfly. Chapter 16. An Invitation to Race. It is almost needless to say that the purchase was not consummated. The girls raised a chorus of protest. The nasty thing was the mildest of epithets they applied to the beast. Well, I don't know. I thought we might have a skin done in a robe. "'We could have it as a prize to the girl. "'That makes the best record on the motor flight,' suggested Jimsy. "'I wish you'd take him up on a thousand feet and drop him,' declared the unfortunate ram owner. "'Poor thing. He only acted according to his nature,' defended Peggy. "'Let him loose, and he'll go back to the flock. "'Not him,' declared the owner. "'He'd only raise more cane. Better let him be.' "'But the girls raised a chorus of protest.' It was a shame to leave the poor thing tied up, and they insisted that he be let loose. All right, if your kin stand, I, I kin, grinned the man. He and the boy bent over the captive ram and cast him loose. The beast struggled to his feet, and for an instant stood glaring about him out of his yellowish eyes that gleamed like a gate's. But it was only for an instant that he remained thus. Suddenly he lowered his head, and without more preliminaries dashed right at the golden butterfly. Gracious, he's a game-old sport, yelled Jimsy. Hasn't he had enough yet? Right at the butterfly, the ram rushed. Reaching it with one bound, he was in the chassis. Now we'll get him, whispered the owner of the ram. I told you if he was let go, he'd start cutting up rough. Well, you surely proved a good profit, laughed Jimsy. Now we've got to catch him, said the man. How, Jimsy? whispered jimsy someone must lasso him as you did before easy now don't scare him or he might damage the ram was seated in the aeroplane, for all the world as if he was a scientific investigator of some sort he paid no attention whatsoever to those who were creeping up on him jimsy with his rope in hand the loop trailing behind him was ready for action this is more fun than a deer hunt declared roy "'Then a bullfight, you mean,' retorted Jimsy. "'This creature gives the best imitation of a wild bull I have ever saw.' They all laughed. The ram certainly had given a realistic interpretation of a savage Andalusian fighter. "'Now then,' whispered the sheep-driver as they drew near, "'Jimsy's rope whirled and settled about the ram's horn, "'but he started, startled the beast, was due to give them another surprise.' Hardly had Jimsy's rope fallen about it when, with a snort, leaped clean in the air out of the airplane. It tore like an express train straight at Jimsy. Before the boy could get out of his path, biff, the impact had come. Jimsy arose into the atmosphere and described a distinct parabola. He landed with a bump in a clump of bushes while Mr. Ram rushed off down the road to join his flock. Ha ha ha! "'Roared up the sheepman. "'Ain't he hurt you? "'Be you? "'No, I've a good mind to sue you for damages for jimsy, "'picking himself out of the clump of the bush. "'You've got no right to drive an animal like that around the country "'without labeling him dynamite dangerous.' "'I guess I will, too,' said the man who appeared to be thinking well of the suggestion. "'He'll sure get me in a pile of trouble one of these days.' He raised his hat and strode off, followed by the boy. In the distance, the ram was capering about among the other sheep. Jimsy brushed the dust off himself and looked about him. "'Anybody laughing?' he demanded suspiciously. They all shook their heads, the girls biting their lip to avoid smiling. "'All right then. I'll suggest that we get out of here right away. The tiger's liable to come striding out of the woods next.' "'Yes, well, we'd better be getting along, Millbrook. "'Our next stop is several miles off,' said Peggy, consulting the map. "'No further time was lost in resuming their rapid flight. "'In the distance, as the flock of airplanes arose, "'the sheepman waved his hat and shouted his adieu's. "'Millbrook was reached that evening just at dusk. "'It provided it to be a fair-sized town, "'and the airplanes excited for such curiosity there as they had in Meadville.' More so, in fact, from some flaring posters, it appeared that an aeroplane exhibition and race had been arranged for the next day by a traveling company of aviators. That evening at the hotel, the deputization of the cities waited on the boys and asked them if they would not prolong their stay to take part in the air sport. The mayor, whose name was Jasper Hanks mentioned a prize of $500 for an endurance flight as a special inducement. The lads said they would think over and report in the morning. Their real object in delaying their decision was, of course, to consult the girls about appearing. Peggy, Jess, and Bess went into rapture over the idea, and Miss Prescott's consent was readily obtained. I'll be glad for the rest for a day after all our excitement, she declared. I mean to add to Wren's outfit, too. Oh, how good you are to me, sighed the odd little figure, nesting close to her benefactress. Tush, tush, my dear, I'm going to make a wonderful girl out of you, beamed the kindly lady. Descending into the office to buy some postcards, the boys found lounging about the desk a stoutish man with a rather disbladed face, puffy under the eyes and heavy about the jaw, a bright red necktie and a patent leather boots with cloth top accumulated the decidedly noisy impression he conveyed. As the boys came down, he eyed them sharply, then addressed them. My name is Lish Kenny- Kelly, he said. I'm the manager of the United Aviators Exhibit Company. We're showing out of the city park tomorrow. I understand that you kids have been asked but in, have been asked to butt in. "'We've been asked to participate, if that's what you mean,' rejoined Roy rather sharply. "'The fellow's manner was offensive and overbearing. "'Well, see you, see here, you stay out,' rejoined the man, shaking his fat forefinger on which glistened a diamond ring of such proportions as to make it dubious if it boasted a genuine stone. "'You stay out of it,' he repeated. Roy and Jimsy were almost downfounded. "'The man's tone was one of actual command.' "'Why? Why should we stay out of it?' demanded Roy. "'The mayor of the town has asked us to take part,' came Jim "'What have you got to do with it?' "'It's this way,' said the man in rather a less overpowering way than he had hitherto adopted. "'We're going out of the country giving flights. "'The city gives us the park in the town, and we get so much of the receipts. "'But we rely on winning the prizes, see?' Now if you kids butt in, why, you might win some of them, and that knocks my profit out. Get me? I understand you, if that's what you mean, rejoined Roy, but I still fail to see why we should not partici- should not compete if we want to. The man placed his hand on the boy's shoulder impressively. "'Cause if you'll do it, I'll make trouble for you, sonny.' "'Who will make it?' flashed Roy indignantly. "'I will, son, and I'm some troublemaker when I start... "'anything along them lines. Take it from me.' "'He turned on his heel and struck his cigar at the more acute angle "'in the side of his mouth and strode off, leaving the two boys dumbfounded. "'Well, what do you make of that?' demanded Roy, "'as soon as his astonishment had subsided a trifle. "'Just this, that Mr. Leash Kelly thinks he can run things to suit himself. "'What will we do about it? For my part I wanted to compete before.' I desire to more than ever now. Same here. Maybe he was only bluffing after all. Maybe, but just the same, I wouldn't trust him not to try to do us some harm. As he says, his main profits come from winning the prizes offered by the different communities. Humph, well, we'll see as far as that goes. I don't see why that need keep us out of it. Nor I, but we've had troubles enough, and I don't want willingly to run into any more nor I. Well, let's sleep on it. We'll decide in the morning. That's a good idea. The two lads went up to bed and slept as only healthy lads can. The next morning dawned, bright and clear, and there was hardly any wind. It was real flying weather. The airplanes had been sheltered in a big shed along to the hotel. Before breakfast, the boys went out and looked them over. All were in good shape. As they were coming out of the shed, they were hailed by no less personage than mayor hanks well he said are you going to fly we think we're going to we think of doing so said roy hesitating a little he wanted to speak of the conduct of lish kelly but on second thought he decided not to the man might merely have had a fit of bad temper on him his threats might have only been empty ones if you're going to fly i have got some pretty empty blanks with me said the mayor i'd wish you sign them he drew out a bunch of blue papers with blanks for describing the name of the machine, its power, driver, and other details. This decided the boys. All right, we'll enter all our machines, said Roy. Let's get into the waiting room, and we'll see signs of the ent- entry banks. Good for you, cried the mayor delightfully. It'll be a big drawing card, especially the young ladies. I've never heard of gals flying, although come to think of it, why shouldn't they? In the waiting-room they concluded the business. When it was all done, the machines had been entered in every contest, including the altitude one. We'll start at ten sharp, so be there, admonished the mayor, as he departed, highly pleased at having secured quite a flock of young aviators, no cost at all. It was his figure, as his figure vanished that Lish Kelly crossed the waiting-room, and he had been sitting in the telephone booth, and leaving the door a crack open, had heard every word that had passed. He greeted the boys with an angry scowl. "'So you ain't gonna stay out,' he said gruffly, as he passed. "'All right, look out for squalls.'" Chapter 17 The Twisted Spark Plug Gracious, are we in for more trouble? Ximsy looked blankly at Roy, but the latter laughed at his chum's serious face. Somehow viewed in the bright light of early day, Lish Kelly's threats did not appear nearly as formidable as they had overnight. Nonsense, what harm can he do us anyhow? We're going into this race, and we're going to win too. Just watch us. Going to tell the girls anything about Kelly and his remarks? No, what good will that do? It only scares them. That's so too. But just the same, I didn't like the look of Kelly's face when he came through. He looked to me like a bulldog that had swallowed a baby's boot and didn't like the taste of the blacking on it. Laughed Roy. At this juncture, the girls came into the room. All were radiant and smiling in anticipation of the day's sport. Well, we've been, well, we've been gone and done it. Announced Roy. Done what? Demanded Peggy. Signed the papers was the rejoiner's render of great dramatic effect. He waved the duplicate entry blinks above his head. Well, let's see him, begged Jess. All right, look what I've let us in for. Why, why, good gracious, Roy, you've got us down for everything, gasped Peggy. That's right, all the way across from soup to nuts, struck in the slangly jimsy. They're all laughed, the colors rose in the girls' faces. If only we can win some of them, cried Jess. "'Well, the machines are in fine shape. "'If we don't win, it will be because the other fellows have better machines. "'Where's the aviation grounds?' inquired Bess. "'At the city park, about a mile out of town to the south. "'We can get to it by looking down at the trolley tracks,' said Roy, "'who had constituted the mayor on this point. "'Then, when you are flying out of here,' asked Miss Prescott, "'who who was also, by this time, a party to the conference.' Of course, and by the way, we ought to be getting out of there pretty soon. I want to look I want to be looking over the grounds and selecting the best place for landing, and so on, said Roy. Well, please don't get into any more scraps. sighed Miss Prescott with gypsies firebugs and rams. Our trip has been quite exciting enough for me. The boys exchanged glances as the man Kelly tried to carry out his threats might be more exciting yet they thought, but both kept their knowledge to themselves. It was arranged that Miss Prescott should motor out of the city park. Soon thereafter, the young aviators placed finishing touches on their machines, and while a curious crowd gathered, they took to the air. Looks like just a flock of pigeons, said a man in the crowd, as they climbed skyward quite closely bunched. It sure does, agreed his companion, but them things are prettier than any flock of pigeons I'll ever see. And this opinion was echoed by many of the throng. At any rate everyone who saw the aeroplanes start made up his or her mind to pay a visit to the park and see some and see some more extended flights so that Major Hanks predicted was verified. As the young aviators hovered above the city park for a short space of time, they dropped earthward and vertebral sensation was created. From a row of hangars, mechanics and aviators came running. One or two aviators, who were aloft practicing stunts, dropped swiftly to earth. This Kelly's troop was a large one, consisting of five men and one woman flyer, the wife of Carlos Leroy, the Cuban aviator. Outside the ground, several other frugal individuals who desired to see the flights without paying admission also watched as the quintet of strange airplanes dropped to earth. One by one, the graceful craft of the air settled to the ground, and the young aviators, aligned members of the arrangement committee, hastened to the skies, shaking hands warmly and thanking them for their interest in coming contests. The Kelly aviators gazed curiously, some of them resentfully, at the newcomers. They had the professional anticipus and jealousy of admiral, of amateur performers. As the arrangement committee bustled off after telling our friends to make themselves perfectly at home, Petita Leroy came up to them. She was a handsome woman in a foreign way, with large dark eyes and an abundance of raven black hair. She was rather flashily dressed and walked with a sort of swagger that was a vague way of reminding Peggy of Carmen. So, you are Z Girl Aviators? she remarked as she came up. Yes, I guess that's what they call us, rejoined Peggy. We enjoy flying and have done a lot of it. So, I have read your names in Z Papers. Oh, those awful papers, cried Jess, who hated publicity. They always print things about us. What do you not like it? What? You do not like it? Oh, no. You see, we only fly for fun, not as business. Peggy stopped short. She felt that. She had committed a grave breach of tactfulness. It was not the thing, she felt, to boast to a professional woman flyer of their standing as amateurs. Nor was the Cuban woman slow to take the umbrage at which she considered an insult. Her eyes flashed indignantly as she regarded their fair-haired, slender girls before her. "'So you fly only for fun,' she said vehemently. "'Very well. You have all the fun you want. Today is over.' Without another word, she walked off the swinging walk of her race. The girls looked at each other with a sort of amused display. "'Goodness, Peggy, you should be more careful,' cried Bess. "'You hurt her feelings dreadfully. "'I'm sure I didn't mean to,' declared Peggy remorsefully. "'I had no idea she would flare up like that. "'Well, after all, it doesn't matter much to pouring oil on the troubled waters, so to speak.' I'm glad the boys didn't hear it, though. So am I. See, they're busy on Roy's machine, exclaimed Bess. Yes, the lower left wing is rather warped, explained Peggy. They are fixing it. Wonder who that man is who's monkeying with the red dragon, said Peggy the next instant. I mean, that horrid-looking man in the check suit. I don't know. He has a monkey wrench in his hand, too, exclaimed Bess. Almost simultaneously, the boys looked around from their work, on the biplane and saw the man. It was Lish Kelly. He was bending over the engine and doing something to it with his wrench. Hey, what are you doing there? Yelled Roy. Just looking at your machine. No harm in that, is there? Demanded Kelly, with a red face. No, no, no. Except that we don't want our machines touched. How come it has? How come you have that monkey wrench in your hand if you aren't tampering with the machinery? "'Jimsy spoke in a voice that was fairly bubbly over with indignation. "'Don't get sore, kid. I wouldn't harm your old mowing machine. "'There isn't one of mine, but could beat it the fastest day it ever flew.' "'As he spoke, Kelly slouched off. "'They saw him go up to a group of his aviators and began talking earnestly to them. "'Once or twice he motioned with his head in their direction. "'So does that mean mischief after all?' said Roy. Let's take a good look at the dragon's engine. He may have injured it, although I don't think he'd have the time to hurt it seriously. They strolled over the dragon with the girls trailing behind. Oh, cried Peggy as they came out. Look at that spark plug. What's the matter with it? demanded Jimsy. Look at it. It's all bent and twisted out of shape. Love says, so it is. Your eyes are as sharp as they are pretty, cried Roy. No compliments, please. Oh, that horrid man. Who is he? asked Jess. You appeared to know him. Yes, we had some conversation with him this morning, laughed Roy. But to return to the spark plug, it's a good thing we carry extra ones. But we don't, cried Jimsy in a dismayed tone. What? You had a supply in your locker on your machine. Jimsy looked confused. I've got to make a confession, he said. You didn't bring them, cried Peggy. No, the fact is I forgot. Jimsy looked miserable from one to the other. He was In a quandary indeed, it might prove hard to get such a commodity as a spark plug in Millbrook. Chapter 18. In Search of a New Spark Plug It was while they were still discussing the situation that the automobile with Jake at the wheel and Miss Prescott and the wren in the turn drove into the grounds. What a difference there was in the child, since her benefactors had fitted her out. She looked like a dainty, ethereal little princess, instead of a ragged little waif that had been rescued from the gypsy camp. But the minds of our young friends were now intent on different matters. Time pressed, the altitude of light in which Jimsy had planned to take part was to be the first thing on the program. If anything was to be done about re-equipping the dragon, it must be done quickly. Tell you what, said Roy Henley. We'll get into the car and drive back into town. It won't take long, and maybe we can dig up an extra one someplace. If we don't, I'm done out of it for keeps, groaned Jimsy. Oh, that Kelly, I'd like to punch his head. He doubled up his fist aggressively, but after all, that chance came, that chance had he to prove that Kelly had actually damaged the spark plug. If he confronted the man, it would have probably denied all knowledge of it. Nobody had actually seen him do it, so that positive proof was out of the question. No, they must repair the damage as best they could, but Roy determined to have the machines closely guarded. The situation was explained to Miss Prescott, and while she and her small protégé took seats in the grandstands, Jake was was detailed to guard the airplanes. This done, the boys got into the machine, and prepared to start for town. But the girls interfered. Aren't you going to take us along, you impolite youths, cried Bess? Oh, certainly. Your company is always charming, returned Jimsy with a low bow. Of course it is, but you wouldn't have asked us to come if we had not invited ourselves, declared Peggy vehemently. How can you say so? Our lives would be a dry desert without the girl aviators to liven things up, declared Jimsy. Jimsy Bancroft, if you're going to get po- poetical, you... Leave this car, cried Jess. That's just it, declared Jimsy. Girls can cry their eyes out over romantic heroes, but when a regular fellow starts to get mushy, they go up in the air. Amidst the chorus of pros- protestations arose by this ungallant speech, Roy started the car. Swiftly it sped out of the grounds, but not so swiftly that the key irons on, on Leash Kelly did not see it. He called Herman Leroy, the Cuban aviator, to him. "'Leroy, you are not in the altitude contest,' he said. "'Hop in my car with me and we'll follow those kids. They're up to something.' The Cuban looked at him and smiled, showing two rows of white teeth under his small, damply curled mustache. "'I think Señor Kelly has been up to something yourself.' "'Well, you know what I told you. We want the $500 prize, Carlos.' And by the looks of things, we don't do something. Those kids are likely to get it. They have five machines, agreed the other. Yes, and they're equipped with balancing devices that make them more reliable than ours. A balancing device, exclaimed the Cuban, as the two men got into the car. A small yellow runabout of racy appearance. That's what I said. It's a good one, too. I read an account of it in an aviation paper but the description was too sketchy for me to see how the thing was worked. Those boys must be wonders. I'm afraid they are, that's why they've got to be careful of them, but I've got a plan to fix them, the whole lot of them. What is it? I'll tell you as we go along. As the car rolled past the group of airplanes, with Jake faithfully standing guard over them, Kelly hailed him in a suave voice. Any idea where the young folks have gone? Jake, who had no idea that Kelly was sinister emotive in asking the question, replied steadily enough. Yes, they've gone into Millbrook to get another spark plug. Something's happened to one of the spark plugs of that red machine yonder. All right, thanks. Kelly drove on. Do you think. do you know what happened to that spark plug, Carlos? he asked as they reached the open road and bowed forward at good speed. I've got plenty of good guesses. It was not altogether an accident, eh? An accident? Well, it was, in a sense. I happened to be near the machine with a monkey wrench, and in some way careless enough to let it put the spark plug out of business. Both men laughed heartily, as if Kelly's rascally act had been the most amusing thing in the world. You are a genius, declared Leroy. Well, I reckon I know a thing or two, was the modest response. Besides, I need that money. But what is your plan? I'll tell you as we go along. Drive fast, but don't keep so close to the other car that they can get sight of us. Not much fear of that. They had a long head start ahead of us and are out of sight now. So much the better. It doesn't interfere with my plans a bit, provided they take the same road back. What do you mean to do? Are you you good with a shovel? Was the cryptic reply. I don't understand you, I must say. You will later on. We'll drive up to that farmhouse yonder. Yes, and what then? We'll borrow two shovels. Two shovels? That's what I said. But what on earth would we have two shovels to do with stopping a bunch of kids from entering the airplane race? Carlos, your brain is dull today. It would take a wizard to understand what you intend to do. Well, you'll see later on. Drive in the ski, and that's it. And now for the shovels. Chapter 19. The Trap. For more than half an hour eager inquiries were made in Millbrook for a spark plug such as they wanted, but their search was to no avail. But suddenly, just as they were about to give up, in despair, a man whom they had inquiries recalled that not far out of town there was a small garage. We'll try there, determined Jimsy, finding out the road heads they speeded to the place. It did not look very promising. A small, badly footed up auto station, run by an elderly man with red rimmed, watery eyes, looked out from behind a pair of horn spectacles that somehow gave him the odd look of a frog. Got any spark plugs? asked Jimsy as the machine came to a halt. Yes, all kinds, said the man in a wheezy, asthmatic voice that sounded like the exhaust of a dying down engine. Good, cried Jimsy, hopping out of the car. "'That is, we'll have all kinds next week,' went on the man. "'I've ordered them. "'Goodness, you haven't any right now? "'I've got a few. "'Possibly you might find what you want among them.' "'I'll try it anyway,' declared Jonesy. "'The man led the way into a dingy sort of shed. "'On the shelf in a dusted corner was a box. "'You can hunt through that,' said the man, warily. "'You'll find what you want. "'Wake me up. "'Wake you up? "'Yes, I always take a nap at this time of day.' "'You woke me up when you came in. "'Now I'm going to go doze off again.' "'So saying, he sank into a chair, "'closed his eyes, and presently was snoring. "'Dead to the world,' gasped Jimsy. "'Well, that's the quickest thing I've in the sleep line I ever saw.' "'As I was no use to wasting further time, "'the boys began rummaging in the box. "'It contained all sorts of old, odd ends, "'among them several plugs.' "'I'll bet there isn't one here that will fit my engine,' grumbled Jimsy. "'I don't—wait, yes, by Jimmy, Eureka. "'Hurrah, I found one.' "'The man woke up with a start. "'What's the matter?' he demanded drowsily. "'Nothing. That is everything,' cried Jimsy. "'I found the one I want. "'All right, leave the money on that shelf over there. "'It's a dollar.' "'So saying, off he went to sleep again. "'While Jimsy overjoyed, Hasten peered a dollar from his roll.' and departed. The last sound he heard was the steady snoring of the garage man. "'Well, there's one fellow that money can't keep awake, even if it does talk,' said Jimsy, laughing to himself with a cry of triumph. He rejoined the party, waving the plug like a manner of embedded of victory. No time was lost in starting the auto up again, and they whirled back through Millbrook in a cloud of dust, Passing through the village, they retraced their way along the road by which they had come. Just a half hour before the altitude flight, remarked Zimzi to Roy, who was driving as they sped through the town. Fine, we'll make it all right, was the rejoinder. Roy turned on more power, and the auto shot ahead like some scared, wild thing. We'll only hit the highest spots this trip, declared Roy, as the machine plunged and rolled along at top speed. All at once they turned a corner, and they received a sudden check. Right ahead of them was a man driving some cows. Roy slammed down the emergency brick, causing them all to hold on for dear life to avoid being pitched out at the sudden change in speed. Wow, what a jolt! exclaimed Jimsy. Sure, it sure did. The sentence was never completed. The auto gave a pitch sideways and then plunged into a pit that had been dug across the road and covered with leaves and dust placed on the framework. A branch this. Down into the pit crashed the machine with a sickening jolt. The girls screamed aloud in fear. It appeared as if the machine would be a total wreck, but that was not the worst of it. In a sudden fall into the pit, Roy had been pitched out and now lay quite still on the roadside. Shunzi had saved himself by being thrown by clutching a tight hold of the seat. He had stopped the engine and then clambering out of the car hastened to Roy's side. To his delight, just as he reached him, Roy sat up, and although his face was drawn with pain, declared that his injuries consisted of nothing more than a sprained ankle. But look at the machine, cried Zimsy. It's smashed, I'm sure of it. The pit, which had been dug across the road, was about three feet deep, and the front wheels of the autos rested in it. The hind wheels had not entered, and the excavation was not a wide one. The boys hastened to examine the car. To their satisfaction, they found not much damage had been done beyond the slight wrenching of the steering wheel. This was due to the fact that they had been going at a reduced speed. "'Gracious, suppose we had been coming along at the same pace we've been hitting up right along,' exclaimed Jimsy. "'We wouldn't be here now,' declared Roy. "'We'd be in the next country or thereabouts. "'Yes, we'd have kept right along going.' "'agreed Gypsy, talking about flying. "'But say, who can have done this? "'Not much doubt in my mind. "'It's the work of that outfit of Kelly's. "'He told us to look out for trouble, "'and he appeared to be making it for us. "'The precious rascal he might have broken all our necks. "'It's true. "'If I'd been hitting up high speed, "'where are we going to get out of this?' "'Peggy asked the question just as the man "'who had been driving up the cattle came running.' "'What's the trouble?' he asked, gazing at the odd scene. "'You can see for yourself,' rejoined Roy. "'Some rascal dug a trench all across the road "'so as to wreck our machine if possible.' "'Humph, so I see,' was the rejoinder. "'How you be getting out of there?' "'That's the problem. We could get a team of horses,' "'the man interrupted Roy, who was acting as spokesman. "'Tell you what. Two of my cattle back there are plow oxen. "'I'll go back to the farm and get their yokes.' and give, him a yank out of, give you a yank out of there. That is, providing you pay me, of course. Don't worry about that. We're willing to pay anything in reason. All right, then. I'll hook up a jewel. The man walked back towards his castle, which were contently browsing at the side of the road. Chuckling in an odd manner, he drove two of them out of the herd and started back toward the farmhouse, which was not far distant. In a wonderful short time he was back with his oxen in harness. Jigjib, hog jewel, he cried. As he came up, the oxen swung around, and the heavy chain attached to their yoke hitched to the front axle of the car. Now for it, cried Roy, when he had been done. Get up, shouted the man. The slow but powerful oxen strained their muscular backs. The chains tightened, and the next moment... The car from which Peggy and Jess and Bless had aligned rose from the pit. Then the hind wheels dropped into it, and with a bump the shock absorbers prevented serious damage. With the oxen straining and pulling, it was finally hauled into the road, where they were all ready to resume the trip. Roy rewarded their helper with a substantial bill, and they were all warm in their thanks. "'Twas nothing,' declared the man, "'and now I guess I'll go up.' The house, and have my hired man fill up this road. Thing is coming to a fine pass with such things, such can happen. As the rescue party sped on toward the aviation field, they fully agreed with the rustic opinion. Had it not been for sheer luck, they would have suffered extreme serious consequences as a result of the rascal's device. But it was Kelsey's plot against them that have them appear to have failed. Chapter 20 An Attack in the Air. Boom! The sound of a gun crashed out as the auto sped through the gates of the aviation field and rapidly skimmed across to where the airplanes had been parked. Just in time, cried Peggy. That's the five minute warning gun. By the time the grandstand was well filled and a band was playing lively airs, at the starting line, three of Kelly's airplanes were gathered ready for the signal from the start of the altitude flight. The instant the car came to a standstill, Jimsy was out in a jiffy and his new spark plug adjusted. There was no time to test it, but he felt pretty confident that it would work all right. Already shouted the official in charge of starting arrangements. Reddy rejoined Jimsy heartily as he adjusted his leather helmet. and Jake and Roy started the engine. Kelly, whose back had been turned while he talked to some of his troop, Faced round at the sound of the boy's voice. What, you're here? he choked and his face purple. Yes, do you know any reason why I shouldn't be? asked Jimsy, with meaning emphasis. Under the lad's direct gaze, Kelly's eyes fell. He couldn't face the lad, but turned away. If it wasn't proof that of his guilt, I'd like to know what is, declared Roy Jimsy to Roy. But the rascal covered up his tracks so cleverly that we can't prove anything on him, muttered Roy disgustedly. At the same instant, the starting bomb boomed out, the crowd yelled, and the drummer of the band pounded his instrument furiously. Above the uproar sounded the sharp, cracker-like report of the motors. As more power was amplified, they roared like batteries of Gatling guns. Into the air shot one of them, a black biplane, is followed by the others, two monoplanes and a triplane, Jimsy ascended thus, but as this was not a race but a cli- cloud climbing contest, he was in no hurry. He was anxious to see other what the other aircraft could do. Up they climbed, ascending the aerial stairway while the crowd below stared up at the risk of ne- stiff necks in the immediate future. Jimmy chose spiraling as his method of rising. But the others went upward in a curious zigzag. This was because their machines were not equipped with the stability device, and they could not attempt the same tactic. Before long, Jimsy was high above the others. From below he appeared a mere dot in the blue, but he still flew on. On he glanced at his paragraph. It showed he had ascended to 5,000 feet. It was higher than the boy had ever been before, but he kept persevering on. It was cold up there in the regions of the upper air, and Jimsy found himself wishing he had put on a sweater. "'It's too long a drop to go down and get one,' he remarked to himself with grim humor. Beneath him he could see the other aeroplanes, but the black one was the only one that appeared to be a serious rival. The rest did not seem to be trying very hard to reach the super laxative height. The black machine, however, was steadily rising. After a while, Jimsy could see the face of its occupant. It was Cuban Leroy. Now, what's he trying to do? I wonder? thought like Jimsy as the black biplane rose to the same level as himself and appearing to be going through some odd maneuvering. That's mighty funny, amused Roy, watching his rival. I can't make out what he's up to. indeed, the black biplane was having qu- was behaving queerly now it would swoop towards Jimsy and then it would dart only to return. Suddenly, it came drivingly straight at him. It was then that Jimsy suddenly realized what his rival was trying to do. To use the slangy but expressive phrase, Leroy, the veteran aviator, was trying to rattle the boy. So that's his game. Is it? thought Whimsy. Very well. I'll give him a surprise. Manipulating his spark plug and gas lever, the boy gave his graceful red craft full power. The dragon shot sharply upward, crossing Leroy's machine, about twenty feet above its upper plane. Jimsy laughed aloud as the astonished expression on the man's face as he skimmered above him. I reckon he thinks that I do know something about driving an airplane after all. He chuckled as he rose till his paragraph recorded six thousand feet. Beneath him he could see Leroy starting to descend. Something appeared to be wrong with the bat the black biplane's motor. It acted sluggish. Well, as he's going down, I guess I will too, said Jimsy to himself. Six thousand feet is by no means a record, but it's high enough for me. Suddenly he was plunged into what appeared to be a wet and chilly fog. In reality, it was a cloud that had drifted in on him. He grew suddenly cold, and with almost frosty chill, the moisture of the cloud drenched him to the skin. The lad shivered, and his teeth chattered but he kept plucking to his task before long he emerged into a sunlight once more and the crowd which had been thrilled when the young aviator vanished into the vapor set up a yell as he reappeared but at the height he was Jimmy of course did not hear it but as he dropped lower and lower shouts so clears came plainly audible the lad waved his hand in acknowledgement then as he neared the ground, he put his machine through a series of graceful evolutions that set the crowd on a while. The outer flight one is flight is won by number four, announced the officials, after they had examined the barograph, with a height of six thousand feet. Number four is mister James Bancroft. Gee, that sounds real dignified, laughed Jim See, It was a treat to be treated with some dignity once in a while. The flight was a race six times round the course. This was won by one of Kelly's flyers. Then came the endurance contest, which Roy captured handily and some exhibition flyers in which Bess did some clever work, was delighted to find herself a winner. It was soon after this that the gun was fired as a note of warning that the big race was about to begin. Peggy's golden butterfly and Roy's entry, the red dragon, borrowed from this race because borrowed from this race, because the biplane was too heavy and clumsy for such work, were wheeled into the starting line. Already three of Kelly's machines were there, among them being that of Senora Leroy, or as she was billed, the Cuban Skylark, the only woman flyer in the world. It appeared now that she had a small claim to the title. The crowd set up a cheer for her as she took her seat in a neat-looking monoplane of the bellerot type. But Peggy's dapper figure, smartly attired, in her aviation costume, appeared to still louder shouts went up. Kelly scowled blackedly. He stepped into his flying machine. You've got to win this race or get fired, he snarled. Chapter 21 Peggy's Splendid Race They're off! Hurrah! There they go! These and hundreds other cries exclaimed, cries and exclamations followed the report of the starting gun the cuban woman flyer was off first then came two others of the professional flyers while roy and peggy shot away last the race was to be 60 miles out to a small body of water called lake loon and return. and trolley line ran past the aviation grounds and out to the lake for the guidance of the flyers with a huge American flag flying from it, blazed a trail below them, as it were. Roy's aircraft gained a slight lead on the Golden Butterfly, and the two of Kelly's flyers were soon passed by both boy and his sister, but the professional woman flyer still maintained her lead. Second came another Lish Kelly's aviators and a blue machine. This was Ben Speedwell, who enjoyed quite a reputation as a skillful and daring air driver. The flyers had all struck a level about fifteen hundred feet in the air. There was quite a light he- headwind, but not enough to deter any of the powerful engine craft. Glancing back for an instant, Roy saw that one of his contestant e-readers dropped to earth. His companion still followed. Overheated engines, probably thought the boy. It must be careful. The same thing doesn't happen to me. Going at this pace, suddenly another airplane loomed up beside him. It was the Golden Butterfly. Good for you, sis! cried Roy, as Peggy, waving her hand, roared past. In another minute, she had shot past Speedwell, but the leader, the woman flyer, was still some distance ahead, and appeared to be a steady, appeared to steadily maintain the lead she had. At last, Lake Loon came into view, and it was more or less shallow body of water. With a small island in the middle of it, as they heard it, Speedwell and Roy went flying almost abreast with Speedwell, just in a shade, just a shade in the lead. Suddenly, Speedwell made a spurt and shot ahead of the Red Dragon, at a distance of half a mile from Roy, who was now last. Speedwell was above the lake. Peggy and the woman Flare had already turned and were on their way back, with the latter still in the lead. Roy was watching Speedwell intently. He saw the man bank his machine to take the curve in order to round the lake. An appalling climax followed. He turned too sharp. He'll never make it, exclaimed Roy, holding his breath. The airplane swayed madly, then began a fierce flight on the speedwell's part to settle it on an even keel. But, skillful as he was, he could not master the overbalanced machine. He is lost, breathed Roy, every nerve a thrill. And then the next minute, crikey, he's got it. No, he's falling again ah there was a note of horror in his exclamation the airplane in front of roy dived wildly and then airily over somersaulted the strain was too great and the wing parted it's the end of him exclaimed roy in a whisper down shot the broken airplane with the velocity of lightning it just dodged the trees on the little island and plunged into the lake first spilling speedwell out then, down on top of him, came the smother of canvas, wood, and wires. He'll be suffocated if he doesn't if I don't go to his rescue, murmured Roy, it will put me out of the race, but I must save him. There's a clear spot on the island, and toward this, the boy dived in the meantime men were putting out from shore in a small boat, but the boy knew that they could not reach the unfortunate speedwell in time to save his life. Roy made a clever landing on the island. Then lost no time in wading out to the half-afloat, half-submerged wreckage. In the midst of it lay Speedwell. Roy dragged him ashore, and the man's face was purple, his limbs limp and lifeless, and he croaked gaspingly. Another minute in the water, and he would have been his last. As Roy realized, he did what he did. He did what he could for the man, rolling him on his face to get out of the water, and had, he had swallowed. By this time, the boat from the shore landed on the island. The two men got out. Is he alive? asked Roy. Yes, he is. He'll get better, too. I guess lucky he fell in the water. No limbs are broken. Well, you're a pretty decent fellow, sort of fellow to get out of the race to help an injured man, said one of them. Well, I'll leave him to you now, rejoined Roy. Is there a hospital near here? There's one about a mile away. We can phone for an ambulance. Good. Well, goodbye. With a whirl and a buzz, the boy was gone, and speedily came, became a speck in the sky. In the meantime, the aviation field was in an uproar. Dashing toward it had come to the two leading airplanes. From dots in the sky, no bigger than a shoe button, they speedily became manifest as two airplanes quiver with speed. Blue smoke poured out of their exhaust. Evidently, the two aviators were straining their craft to the utmost. "'Against that Cuban woman and the the young girl flyer, yelled the man, who had a pair of field glasses. "'The uproar redoubled, and the two airplanes were almost side by side as they rushed onward, which would win the $500 race. "'It was a struggle that had become some miles back. "'After leaving the lake, Peggy, who had held some speed in reserve while her opponent keyed her engine to its top pitch, had gradually gained on her, but she was, but still there was a gap between the two airplanes on the turn dip no car blazed the way. the speed was too great for that for the reasons smudges or smoky fires had been lightened to guide the aircraft at a pace there was it was necessary to make a slight turn. Peggy made the gain that brought her almost alongside her competitor. And making the turn, the monoplane flown by the Cuban aviatrix could not negotiate. It was a sharp angle, as Peggy's machine, owing to its not being equipped with an equalizer or a stabilizing device, now it was Peggy's tension, now it was that Peggy tensioned up the golden butterfly to its full power. The engine fairly roared as the propeller blurred around. The whole fabric trembled under the strain. It seemed as if nothing made by man could stand the pressure. But the Golden Butterfly had built by one of the most foremost young aviators in the country, and it sounded and true in every part. Peggy felt no fear of anything giving out under the strain. And now the aviation park appeared in the distance. Peggy headed straight forward, hoping devoutly that her motor would not heat up and jam under terrific speeds it was being forced to. The Cuban woman glanced round anxiously. It was a bad move for her, like a flash the golden butterfly shot by the other machine as the latter wobbled badly. Peggy's delight was mixed with apprehension. The motor was beginning to smoke. Plainly, it was heating up. Will it last five minutes longer? That was the thought in Peggy's mind. The golden butterfly was hardly an airship any longer. It was a thunderbolt, a flying arrow. Before Peggy's eyes, there was... Nothing now but the tall red and white pylon that marked the winning post. Could she make it ahead of her rival? Close behind her, she could hear the roar of the other motor, but she did not dare look around her for fear of losing ground. Swiftly, she mentally selected the spot where she would land, and then down shot the golden butterfly like a, pouncing fish, like a pouncing fish hawk. The speed of the descent fairly took Peggy's breath away, her cap had come off, and her golden hair streamed out in the breezy wild. There was a blur of flying trees. Then came the grandstand, a mere smudge of colors, a sea of dimly of dimly seen faces, and a roar that was like that of a hundred waterfalls. Down shot the golden butterfly, just inside the pylon, which ran for about a hundred yards, and then brought to a stop. Preggy Prescott had won the race. I want to thank everyone for coming to this episode of the Flirtation's Life to Tape podcast, uh, the reading of The Girl Aviators and the Motor Butterfly. Uh, Next week we will read Chapter 22, Peggy's Generous Curiosity. Peggy's Generosity. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, I wanted to let you know that this Flirtation's Life to Tape podcast recording of The Girl Aviators visual audiobook is funded by viewer support. If you would like to help out as well, you can visit VotationsDonations.com, where there are many ways you can help support Votations and the Votations Live to Tape and our sister sites. There you can find ways you can donate through PayPal, you can set up recurring subscriptions on PayPal or also on Patreon. There are many levels on Patreon on which you can support. And there is also an Amazon wish list that will help us with equipment uh, donations and we also accept cryptocurrencies as well. If you're old school and you like to send uh, checks, we have our P.O. Box information also on that page at votationsdonations.com. I want to thank everyone who has helped support this series so far, and I hope you helped too. Thank you.